Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi guys, welcome back to Car Chat. And on the episode day, on the episode, in the episode, yeah, on the episode, I have Pete Osborne. Now, hi Pete. Hi. <laughs> we are sitting in Pete's X5 in a car park. This is the first time I've done a podcast in a car park. I don't know whether you've ever, and we're both holding microphones, which is very unconventional for this it's, podcast. It's different. <laughs> okay, so Pete, you organise tours. Can you give a little explanation of what you do? Yeah. Okay. So I've been doing this for 10 years now. And the, the longest short of it is I take people on road trips like you see on Top Gear. So generally speaking, people pay a certain amount of money to come on a tour. Uh, most of the tours are roughly a week, seven, eight, nine days, something like that. They turn up on the first day. I give everyone a walkie-talkie and a sat-nav at a route book. Um, talk them through a few, you know, sort of basic rules about speed limits and overtaking and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I lead a relatively fast group and then Dan who works with me leads another relatively fast group but 20 minutes behind me and then the slower guys leave with me effectively so that way Dan catches the slower guys by the fuel stop uh, okay. or whatever. yeah and I, I, I take all the hassle out I mean Dan and I have discussed this plenty of times and, and really what it boils down to for us is it's a driving holiday so it has to be driving but it also has to be a holiday you don't want to have to worry about where the fuel stops are or, or, you know, which whether this road's better than that road, that's what you're paying us for. Yeah, totally. I think when we first met, was that on the Supercars Club Arabia trip? I think so. Trip? Yeah. Was that Euro Abia? Euro Abia. Which was 2015. Did we start, where did we start? Brooklands. Oh, Brooklands. Oh, no, yeah, Stockholm to Monaco was the following year, I think. But yeah, Brooklands, next to Mercedes-Benz World. Yes. At that hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the first time, because I'd been on loads of road trips before then. Yeah. And then I'd never been on a, like, I think the, like, the way you said, the best way to sum up your road trips, in my, in my experience, is it's about driving. Yeah. And a lot of road trips are about seeing places or 
just like the experience of you know flash parties or just getting a group of fancy cars but they end up driving down motorways and stuff whereas you really love a good drive yeah we're we're all about the driving i mean there's i I do private tours as well and so certain groups that we take on private tours request you know large cities and that kind of stuff because they want to be seen and they want to be photographed and they want to maybe have some nightlife and so on our public tours are very much more about we are we are discreet we are invisible we go and enjoy roads that that most people don't even know about and it, it is all about the roads it, it is, it's it is all, all about the roads <laughs> <laughs> we're not there to show off we're not there to be seen be photographed we're not there to get pissed every night and and you know all that kind of stuff yeah we're, it's all about the roads <laughs> briefly you can find pete on instagram and on, on the web and whatever yeah but your company's called petrolhead tours yeah and on instagram it's at petrolhead tours yep and um twitter is at petrolhead tours and facebook is at petrolhead tours we're so it's at, across at all of the social media yeah yeah and you've got a little sticker that goes on all the cars which is a man yeah yeah pumping it, it it originally it's actually like, it a, like a it's a it's a modification of a banksy thing so banksy put this red and black like petrol head thing on a wall somewhere yeah and then that became t-shirts on ebay and all sorts <laughs> of stuff um so yeah ours, ours is like a, a a modified version of that really yeah you'll see um, this little man holding just, a petrol pump it, it's a man pumping petrol into his head because he's a petrol head (laughs) (laughs) so where did this all sort of begin how okay so i worked in it i i when i left university i got a job in it and i worked in it for 11 years and i made pretty good money and spent monday to friday just living breathing eating work and it was horrible Mm. i don't like it i i can do computers but i don't enjoy it yeah you know so many people i worked with would go home and do computer stuff and that just wasn't that me. wasn't you so i spent money on cars porsches and tvrs and various other a lot of bmws way too many bmws any highlights e34 m5 yeah. e36 m3 e36 32i sport 32i sport cab i had four e30 325i's <laughs> what yeah for? four of them yeah i had three chimeras um a tuscan I've had four 993s, 996 Turbo. Yeah. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. Lots of good stuff. Yeah. Is there any you wish you hadn't got rid of? Yeah, quite a few. But we'll we'll come back to that. (laughs) So I've had about 30 or 40 six and eight cylinder petrol BMWs. Right. 30 or 40. That's good going. I've had about 80 cars in 25 years. That is seriously good going. (laughs) Yeah. I like BMWs. My wife won't let me buy anything that isn't a BMW or a Porsche because I sell everything else. As soon as I get it, basically, I get bored. But you sell the ones you do buy. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. She she says that too. (laughs) But anyway, so yeah, so uh, 11 years in IT, did lots of car stuff for fun. You know, I used to organise drive outs around where we are now, actually, Thames Valley, Mm. um, where we'd meet in a random pub car park at five o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, 10, 15, 20 cars. And I'd hand out like a printed Google Maps sheet and say, right, this is where we're going, and everyone would just follow me. And, you know, we used to use those cheap PMR radios that you can get from Maplin and places like yeah. that, which are crap above about half a mile. But, yeah, ultimately we'd, we'd have, you know, a three- or four-hour drive ending at Goodwood Breakfast Club or, you know, a, a, a truck stop cafe somewhere where we could all have breakfast. And, of course, we're done by 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. Everyone can still do their Sunday stuff, washing the car, yeah. mowing the lawn, taking the kids for a bike ride, whatever it is. So I, I did that a lot. <laughs> like 
Almost every weekend, just because it was something to distract me from work, and I had the car, and it was something to do with the and car. Were you just you doing know? that for fun, or were people just paying you a little bit of that for No, I was just doing that for fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was doing it anyway, and I, it started with just me and a few mates, and then a few people said, oh, can we come? You know, and, and yeah. we used to go to the pub together, and we used to go to the pie shop in Reading, and I mean, all sorts of stuff, you know, various social events, and it was all, we're all car people. Yeah. And so more and more people started turning up at five o'clock in the morning at random pub car parks. Nothing suspicious about that at all. And then some friends of mine had been on something called a Furball 5000, which obviously is a gumball piss take. Yeah, I've never Cannibal heard of this, piss yes. Yeah, Furball 5000, which was about 2006 or seven ish something like that. And that, that was a bit balls to the wall, you know, like leave the hotel at seven o'clock in the morning, get to the hotel at 10 o'clock at night. Right. Solid driving. Yeah. Lunch. Lunch is for pussies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so... And then a few other people who were involved in that decided to get involved in something else, which they call Petrolhead Nirvana. Yes, I remember this um, So Petrolhead Nirvana used to hold um, Ace Cafe meets, for example, and they, they did a couple of tours. But because several people were involved in that and they all had other jobs, yeah, it didn't work very well. It wasn't planned very well. It wasn't executed very well. And it got to the point where they were losing money and they said, look, we either need to fold up or get somebody to do everything from start to finish. Yeah. And four of the five of them knew me. Yeah. And I, I also used to have barbecues at my house on a Sunday quite regularly for my car mates. Right, yeah. <laughs> After your 5am drive. <laughs> After the 5am drives. Uh, sometimes like alternate weekends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so a couple of them came to one of my barbecues and said, look, how do you fancy getting out of IT and doing this? And I thought, yeah, why not? So I sold a motorbike sold a jet ski, sold two of my cars, remortgaged my house to make the mortgage payments lower because it was a massive yeah. pay cut. And then, so my first tour with them, I just went as an observer. Mm. That was in September 2009, and I was horrified. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> so I, get, I got back from that and literally threw everything, literally threw everything in the bin. I mean, I took everything they had and threw it in the bin, in the physical <laughs> bin, and started again. And the first year, 2010, we broke even. And then we just kind of went from there, really. So I've just completed my 96th tour. 96th tour? Yeah, two weeks ago. Do you know, and you're the sort of person that would know this, how many miles you've done on tours? I don't know exactly. Roughly. But I, I worked out about three or four months ago, I, I was at about half a million kilometres on tour. Yeah, and I, I've been in a car with you on tour. This is like, <laughs> this is probably a lot of tyres. That's, that's a lot of tyres. Yeah, it's a lot of tyres. So I, one thing I wanted to ask you, because at the very beginning, did you have, you had the M135Is? Or was it before that, were you just in no, whatever no. car so, you had? So in Petrolhead Nirvana, when I started, I had a 130, okay, yeah. which had brakes and exhaust and limited slip diff and a few other bits. And then the guy that owned the company lent me his cars for the next few years, effectively, yeah. and he was my sort of second tour manager. So started off with an E46 M3, yeah. and then the 996 Turbo, and then an E92 M3. Mm. And then when I left Petrolhead Nirvana in 2015 and started Petrolhead Tours, that's when I got a pair of M235Is, brand new, in warranty. There's, there's nothing worse than the tour manager's car breaking down. Oh, for sure. You know, that, that's a bad look. So, yeah, a pair of 235Is for the first two years of Petrolhead Tours and then a pair of M240Is for the next two years. May have reached the mileage a bit quicker than anticipated with those, which is why they had to go back a year early. Yeah, um, but that's that, good business, right? Because you've done yeah. a lot of tours. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I worked out what the planned mileage was without taking into account too many private tours. Yeah. And then, of course, a new private tour comes along and you're like, well, it's, you know, you've got to do it, but it adds another 3,000 miles that you weren't anticipating. Yeah. So, yeah, but because the 240s went back early, it was an opportunity. And, the, I mean, the deals on the M2 comps are 
really good at the moment. Yeah. Especially with the CS just coming out. Have you seen the leaked pictures? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen your pictures, but I know it's coming uh, out. I, I saw leaked pictures today. Oh. Oh, I'll show you. We'll have to have a look. So, yeah, so the, the good deal's out on the M2s. So we picked up a pair of M2 comps, and this time we're not mileage limited. So the plan is to keep them for the duration of the three-year warranty. Right. And the new M2 should be out about nine months before the end of the three-year oh, okay. warranty. Yeah, 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 yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to step into two new M2s in three years' time. Because that's, I guess... Your major cost in doing these trips is probably yep. car, having two cars. Yep. I remember the first one The first one I went on with you, and we had the two M135Is. 235Is. 235Is, yep. sorry. The blue ones. And that was, it was weird going on a trip where the, the lead cars and the guys organising it were in yep. matching identical cars. It, it yep. didn't even matter, like, it <laughs> almost doesn't matter at that point in time what the cars were. Yeah. Apart from, the, but the fact that they were sort of matched, you're like, oh, this is this is like, this is organised, which every road trip I ever go on is not that organised, like okay. ever. Okay. <laughs> and then I think that one was, we had a whole bunch of people in various supercars, as yep. I think a lot of your, your trips are. Yep. And then by the time you've got to the first, let's say, coffee stop or lunch or something, yep. you've, got, you've had, you've probably got about 20 people racking their brains for the most excuses in the world why these 235Is are the fastest car in the world. Yep. You must have heard some good, good excuses along the way. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, Dan and I both like rear-wheel drive dynamics, first and foremost. And yes, it's the job, but, you know, to enjoy your job. I, I would enjoy my job less if I was in a Golf R, for example. Yeah. Because it's just not my kind of car. You know, I mean, my, my wife loves things like Focus RSs, mm. turbocharged, front-wheel biased. That, that's what floats her boat. Yeah. Big spoilers. I'm, I'm a bit more discreet, subtle, iron fist, velvet glove. The old Merc 500E, yeah. that, that's my kind of car. That's you. Because you know? without those flared arches, and I mean, let's be honest, who's going to notice those flared arches? Joe Public no. wouldn't even see that, you know? So you're kind of in, through, and gone before anyone even notices. That, yeah, that's yeah. more my style. And the 235s are relatively subtle, especially in that blue. Because totally subtle. Those estrial blue cars are everywhere. Every 320D <laughs> I see on the road is estrial blue. And they're rear-wheel drive, and... They were new and under warranty and, I mean, after the discounts and stuff, cheap. Yeah. Really cheap. And, again, this is a business, you know. This this is effectively our two vans. So the, the more we have to spend, the more we have to put on the prices of the tours. So, you know, we don't really want to do that. And the 235s were the cheapest thing we could find that, that did the job. And I think they did the job really well. Yeah, they, they were great. Like, I have since had an M2, which is, I've driven, a, I think I drove a 235i. Yeah, um, at Bedford, yeah, was a guy that came along and I, I had a go in his really soft and wallowy, and yeah, and the thing I noticed was how sort of how messed up the diff is, yeah. the open diff if yeah. you're pushing it until you turn everything off, yeah. And I was uh, the guy, this guy's car. I was saying like, look, you, this car, you're telling me it feels sketchy, and to be honest, it looks sketchy, yeah. But I reckon if you turn everything off. I've been in the car with Pete, and Pete said, if you turn anything off, it gets better. That sounds very <laughs> counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. But, like, just drive slower yeah, and build up. Yeah. I massively do not recommend anyone drives on the road with all no. the traction control off, because no. you're, you're going to spin if you haven't got some skills. But. Yeah, you, you, you need experience to, to have the confidence to do it. And, I mean, from my personal experience, especially with things like BMWs, the traction control is very intrusive because it's trying not to kill you, you know? Yeah. It's assuming you came out of a 1.1 Peugeot 206 
into like an M3 and it doesn't want you to die because it wants you to buy an M4 and then an yeah, M5. And, exactly. <laughs> right? So traction control in, I mean, even things like the 235i is, is very safe. But of course, if the car starts to get out of shape and I'm reacting to the car and so is the traction control, then am I putting in the same kind of inputs as the traction control or not? Yeah, it gets a bit... And then I'm not just dealing with the car anymore. I'm now trying to fight what the traction control's doing or trying to second guess what the traction control's doing, which is really irritating <laughs> and very frustrating. And again, with things like the 235, because of the open diff, on tight uphill corners, for example, it will lift an inside rear wheel. If you've got the traction on, it A, breaks the two right-hand wheels, let's say, and B, pulls the power. And then the guy that's behind you, who's just floored it... <laughs> It's like, what the hell are you doing? You've basically stopped. If you turn the traction off, then as it, insi- as it lifts that inside rear wheel, it's got enough torque because it's turbocharged and they're relatively skinny tyres to spin not just the wheel it's lifted, but also the other one. Yeah. So you end up with a little bit of a slide, not particularly tidy because it's open diff, but you still have some drive. And yeah, so the yeah. guy behind you doesn't think he's going to crash into the back of you. Yeah, I mean, I, I do appreciate having the limited slip diffs in the M2s. It, it has changed what I can actually do on tour, yeah, much less untidy at those, you know, sort of yeah, yeah. At, at low speed limits, shall we say? It's so much but, more balanced car, yeah, than M two, yeah, like, just as a platform. And I know lots of people because you had the the did you have the two one forty i two forty i's? No, so the, after the two three fives, we had the two forties, which are basically the same car, but the two forty engine doesn't rev quite as cleanly as the earlier engines. Right. So the two three five is an N fifty five revs really nicely all the way around to seven thousand. And, I mean, it's it's rewarding. It makes a nice noise. Yeah. It, it feels like it's giving you something for stringing it all the way out. Yeah. The B58 in the 240, and in fact in this car, we're sat in my X3 M40i, just for clarification, the B58 isn't so revvy. Yeah. So from like six to 7,000, it doesn't feel like you're really getting as much as it could. Yeah. But the other side of that is that you get so much more mid-range than you did with the earlier engine. Yeah. So Dan and I, when we first got the 240s, we both commented that we were going everything a gear higher. So certain corners that we would have done in the 235 in third, we were finding in the 240s, we were in fourth at well, yeah. lower revs. The gearing's the same. you just got more punch lower down. you've got so much more mid-range torque that you can afford to do it. And it, because it doesn't want you to extend it, you know, it doesn't feel like it's urgent above 6,000, mm. there's no reward. Yeah. So there's no point stringing it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know? you find I find that with and are you and autos at that point in time or DSGs, whatever. They uh, yeah, uh, in those two cars, in the two three five and the two forty, it's the ZF eight speed. Yeah, um, and in the M twos, we've got the D, the seven speed DCT. Yeah, um, but we don't drive them in auto. Yeah, so we, we we both use the stick, so it's effectively like a clutchless manual. Yeah, because most of the time we've both got radios in our left hands. Okay, and of course the right hand paddle only goes up. Yes. So if you need to downshift... Yes, unless you had a McLaren, <laughs> and then you could do up and down with your right hand. Yeah, but, but BMWs don't do that. Yeah, and also your so, McLaren potentially wouldn't finish your road trip. Yeah, possibly. And we've had mixed results. Mixed results. Do you find there's a certain... Because people are saying everyone's surprised at how fast these small BMWs are. Yeah. And, and actually, like an M2 is, is a pretty fast car. It's not actually any faster than a 240 in a straight line. It might, like, isn't it almost slower? Um, Actually, your, no, yours yours is probably faster. Why? The, the competition versus my. Oh no, M2. I don't think I don't think the comp is any quicker than the original M2. 
Is it not? I don't think it's so. It's a little bit heavier. It's a little bit heavier. A little bit more power. The power delivery is a, a little different. I prefer the earlier M2 to the comp. Yeah. If I could have bought two brand new LCIs rather than comps, I would have done that because the engine sounds nicer. Yeah. Um, the car is lighter. The seats in the comp are definitely better. But other than that, other, other than that, I, I'm I'm one of those people that you know when when people go on forums and say I've got an M2, should I upgrade to the comp? Yeah. I'm one of the people that says no. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of money. I've always I don't thought, feel you're getting value for that. Yeah, I've always thought that question. The people who do those sorts of questions, like, yeah. you know, I've got the whatever and I want the S version or I want the, you know, just the yeah. minor update. Like with my M2, if to, to change to an M2 comp, I don't know, the price difference has got to grand. be 20 grand. Yeah. And the car is basically the same. Nice seats. Nicer seats. Worse sound. Worse sound. Worse fuel consumption. Worse fuel consumption. Much worse fuel consumption. It's got a slightly better MMI interface. Mm, Margin. Touchscreen, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, but... If you like that. Yeah. (laughs) Apart from the touchscreen, it's basically the same. Yeah. But yeah, no. It's it's really just the seats and a a worse noise and worse consumption. Yeah, so thumbs up. I actually prefer the the wheels on the earlier cars as well. Really? I'm not massively keen on the cross-spoke on the the comp. Well... So, yeah, if you've got an M2, don't bother wasting your money upgrading to the Comp. No. But the Comp is also a good car. But the Comp is also a very good car, yeah. And there's loads of deals on them at the moment. There are very good deals. And I'm sure if you get one secondhand, it's also good. Yeah. So, having run all of these cars for many thousand miles on road trips. Yeah. Specifically, okay, let's start off with the BMWs, then we'll talk about some of the guest cars and things like that. Have they all been a similar sort of cost to run? Or is that very different? And factoring in overall cost of ownership of car? So, I mean, in the earlier days, so the E46 M3, the 996 Turbo, the E92 M3, because they were older cars and they weren't under warranty, there were certain things that crept up that that wouldn't necessarily with the newer cars that we've run since then. And again, some of that is you have to bear that in mind that you're running an older car. And of course, if if your car breaks down on tour, that's bad. (laughs) That's really bad. Um, I mean, as an example, with our two M2s, we carry a brand new front tyre and a brand new rear tyre with us. Yeah. Because if either of us has a puncture, it's easy to get the car recovered from BMW Assist to a tyre shop. But most tyre shops can't get the tyre for 24 to 48 hours. Oh, okay, yeah. If we've got one of each with us, yeah. we're back on the road in two hours. Yeah, that's good. So with running those older cars, there were certain things... Um, you know, cooling system or clutch or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, in the E46 M3, I killed the diff, so it wasn't locking anymore. Oh, right, yeah. In the United 2 M3, the diff was starting to go, lot wasn't locking anymore. So running the newer cars that are in warranty sort of alleviates that, those sort of issues, but you do still have other things, obviously. I mean, the, I mean, as an example, so with the condition-based servicing on the 235s and the 240s, typically when you get the car, it says it's 18,000 miles to the first oil service. Yeah. Right, and, of course, and, of course, people who run around in cities all the time, sat in traffic all the time, um, do lots of short journeys, that comes down. So they might end up having a service at 12,000 or 14,000 miles or yeah. something like that. With our tour cars, 18,000. Nice. Because they do very few cold starts. Yeah. You know, I mean, a typical 12,000-mile-a-year car that's used to get to and from work five days a week, maybe go shopping at the weekend, whatever, is doing, what, 500 cold starts a year? Yeah, yeah. 12,000 miles in a tour car is 40 cold starts. <laughs> you know, the engine's always up to temperature. The gearbox is always up to temperature. Yeah. We, we spend very little time in stop-start traffic, um, very little time in cities if we can possibly avoid it. So those sort of costs are actually quite reasonable. 
Yeah. Dan and I are both very light on brakes. That's the reason we can stay in front of GT3s and, yeah. and 650s. Just don't brake. And so on and so forth. We, we just, we carry more corner speed than most people because we know if we brake, we then have to accelerate again to get that back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we can carry a bit more corner speed, then that's better for the brakes and the fuel consumption. And the M2 fuel tanks are tiny. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so anything that can save a little bit of fuel is useful. Um, and of course, the, the sort of side effect of that is A, you're using less brakes, so brake pads and so on. B, less fuel consumption is better for the condition-based servicing. But unfortunately, we do go through tyres. Yeah. A lot of tyres. What's your sort of... Do you do a set, a, a trip, or how does it work? So in the 235s and the 240s, it, Spain, 3,000 miles... If you start up with a brand new set of Supersports, they'd be done by the end. And was that, like, done or was it just the sidewalls were done? No, done. Done, done. Done. <laughs> with the 240s, because we knew about the issues we'd had with the 235s, we put the M4 lower control arms on. Okay. Just to dial in a bit of negative camber. Yeah. The Pilot Supersports have got very soft shoulders anyway. Yeah. But that massively reduced the issues we had with the shoulders. Oh, really? First time we did Spain with the without the LCAs... The middle of the front tyres were down to about three and a half, four mil, mm. and the outside shoulders were both on cords, yeah, like visible cords. With the extra negative camber from the lower control arms, by the time we saw cords on the shoulders, we were down to less than two and a half mil in the middle, yeah, which is done yeah, anyway, yeah, that's really. Right. So you know, and I, I, I never run tyres down to one point six mil. Oh, it's just sketchy. Two, two and a half is plenty. Usually, if it's below three thousand, I'm already looking for the next set. Yeah. Um, typically we get two tours out of a set so like Scotland Alps and Pyrenees Norway two tours five six thousand miles is about what we'll get I mean I just did Spain uh, like a month ago with Alphaholics Mm -hmm. um, in the M2 and I'd done a thousand running in miles before that and then I've done Scotland since then so that's five thousand miles and again I was just showing cords on the front shoulders on both sides but I still had about two and a half mil in the middle yeah so to get a whole Spain tour and a thousand running in miles and a whole Scotland tour, the M2s are definitely going to be better for us. Yeah, that's for tire That's wear. good going. I, I think that's because they're stiffer. Yes, yeah. So I was talking to someone. I was it was a, a track day or whatever, and they were on their one three five i. They were ruining shoulders. Side, the shoulders, and I think the next time I saw them, they'd bought the M2 spec. Like the you can buy a. I think it's a it's potentially a higher speed rating. Okay. And you get the stiffer... The M, the tyres on the M2 just have a stiffer sidewall okay. at the top, so they don't roll over as much. The XL version rather than the normal version? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, because the fronts on the 3.5s and the 40s are an 88 load rating, and the XLs are a 92 load rating. We did that as well. Yeah. Yeah. But we did that when we also did the low control arms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, those sorts of changes, because most people would not... Obviously, no, most people are not using these cars... How you yeah, guys are using probably them. not. No. <laughs> They're just cruising <laughs> up and up and down the road. You've done so. Uh, someone comes on a tour, yep, and they get given your your sort of tour pack at the beginning, yep, which has a radio, yep. What radios do you use? Uh, we use at the moment we use Mitex Generals. I don't know what um, so they're licensed, so we have to pay for a license uh, from okay. Ofcom. But those, so those those like Maplin style PMR four four six radios you can buy and Argos whatever else. They're half a watt. Yeah, the ones we use are five watt. Okay. My university radio station was three watt. <laughs> so, yeah. Much so, better. So we've got about 40 of those 
And the, yeah, the five watt transmission. If if I am standing outside the car, because I mean, steel shell car reduces the range to some degree. Yeah, things like granite. You know, when you're in the gorges in France, that reduces the range yeah. to some degree. But if I'm standing outside the car and I'm talking to somebody else who's standing outside their car, we can easily get twelve to fifteen miles. Wow, that is okay. That is yeah, good going in yeah. a car. What do you get in a car? The Moving. best I've ever got is twelve miles. But that was I was on a ferry in Norway. Yeah, and the other person was. Had, had basically just missed the ferry. Oh, okay, so you were literally like... So, as I got off the ferry and carried on driving up the fjord, he could still hear every word I said yeah. at about 12 miles. Because yeah, I think I bought some of the ones that you were using when I first met you. Okay. Like a little black ones. Yeah, yeah. I think they were. Mytex General, yeah. A couple of watts or whatever. Yeah. Um, how much does a licence for beef you want to cost? I think it's 75 quid. Is, it, is, that, is that per radio or just a license no, 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 to use that's, that's up to 500 radios, I think it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. yeah I mean, you have, you have to apply for it. Yeah. You have to justify why you need... Yeah. I want to talk know. to my mates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 75 quid. Can you... And I don't know whether people have done this. How many people can you get on a conference call now? Like, on, a, let's say, can you merge multiple people onto an, like an iPhone, for example? I don't know whether you, you can do that. You can. I know you can do like FaceTime with three or four people. Okay, yeah. I think that's a relatively recent development. I don't know how many. I mean, I don't know what the limitation is to add people to like There a is a serious call. benefit to being able to turn people off with a radio. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the battery runs out and then don't, just don't charge it. Yeah. yeah. Well, do, you, do you get a lot of people that are handing back radios or don't hand back radios and therefore... No, well, so every night we collect the radios right. and charge them and then hand them out the next morning. As much as anything else, because because all the the radios are numbered. Yeah. When we collect them at night, we know that we've got everyone. Yeah. Everyone's arrived, and when we hand them out the next morning, if anyone's overslept or is late or whatever, you know who it is. We know because I've still got a radio <laughs> left at the end. So that's quite I, a good way of doing roll call. Yeah. 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 And typically, the radios will last about two days, okay. but by charging them every night, nobody ever runs out. Yeah. You know, because if we charge them every other day, let's say four o'clock on the second day, your radio's running out and you don't get to the hotel till half five, when you do get to the hotel at half five, you're going to be annoyed Yeah. that, you know, the last hour and a half, your radio hasn't been working properly. And, and in this situation, you're like, well, you didn't give me your radio back, did you? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so then, do you still use sat-navs, programmed yep. sat-navs? Yep. So you used to use TomToms back in 2010, 11, 12-ish. Yep. TomTom changed their operating system, so you can only put five waypoints. Oh, okay. Which is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I trialed a few different sat-navs at the time and ended up choosing Garmin. Right. And I still use Garmin now. Um, their waypoint limitation for one itinerary file is 30. Okay. And most of my tour days, I can squeeze into 30 waypoints. Do you... Because I think most people out there would have probably done the thing where you open up Google Maps and actually now you probably even have to go into like a classic version of Google Maps to do multiple web waypoints sometimes yeah and they'll have loaded up the route yeah then you you get a, a code whatever url for yeah. that route yeah and then you put it in and i don't know whether anyone else has come across this but you do that and they're not all the same or like <laughs> someone takes a slightly different turn and then it just the whole thing goes messed up which is why i mean like google maps i think the most you can do is something like nine maybe okay points yeah yeah, yeah. you know start finish and seven in between most of my satnav files for most of my tours are between 16 and 29 waypoints yeah uh, for exactly that reason because you're, you're trying to minimize where the satnav could say well you could either turn left at this t-junction and go that way or turn right at this t-junction and go that way and 
time-wise, it's about the same. You don't want half the group turning left and half the group yeah. turning right. And that's, that's a, like, a huge benefit of following, let's say, yourself yep. in, in a car and you know you've got someone behind or whatever. And if you're, fo- if you're following, you can just follow you because we know that you're probably going the right way. Yep. I am very, Hopefully. very wary on road trips of following another car that's just like a, a participant because yep. I don't trust pretty much anyone to get navigation correct because most people don't. Uh-huh. That, that's <laughs> why we provide sat-navs. <laughs> with, the, with the garments, what happens when you go off the route? Does it just send you just sends you back to the next unfortunately one, one of the sort of downsides of the Garmin weirdly is that they're very very fast to replan okay so if you go wrong by the time you've realised you've gone wrong it's already worked out the new route whether uh. that involves taking a U-turn or not okay if, obviously if it says take a U-turn then great you do a U-turn you're back on the same route yeah. as everyone else if it goes oh okay well you've made this left when you should have made a right but it's okay because we can add four minutes to the journey and just keep going this yeah, way yeah yeah you won't even know you've gone wrong. Okay. The Garmin will re- recalculate so quickly. But again, because I've got 30 waypoints... You'll rejoin in 20 minutes You'll rejoin at the next waypoint anyway, yeah. And yeah, some people do that. Some people do that. So you, you must have had all sorts of cars. Yeah. You're just saying you've just come back from an alcoholics yep. trip. Yeah. How was that? I love those cars. Awesome. <laughs> Most of those guys have, you know, collections of... Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Aston Martins and Bentleys yeah. and whatever else. And then at the end of the garage, they have this little, you know, 50-year-old, 60-year-old alcoholics car. Um, but of course, it's not really 50 or, 60 years, 50 or 60 years old. It's got a 1960s shell, a 1970s gearbox, a 1980s engine, 1990s brakes, yeah. brand new injection system. You know, all, all the most modern bits that they can fit around original parts. Yeah, for sure. And then carbon fibre bonnet and carbon fibre doors and billet titanium wishbones. Billet titanium wishbones. I mean, they, they, they look like chopsticks. Yeah. You, you wouldn't believe there was enough metal there to hold for them, them to up, do yeah. their job. And they're so strong. And they're full of holes because obviously they yeah. drill holes in everything. But I mean, like Max's car, which is the one everyone knows that Chris Harris yeah. drove and, and you know is featured everywhere. It's SBP 99E. It's, it's the red one with the mm. black plates. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a GTR 290. So that weighs 830 kilos, I think it is. That is so light. It's got 240-odd horsepower. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and, I mean, it's such an amazing car. And, I mean, the chassis is friendly. Um, the power delivery is great. It's got enough torque lower down to just drive along normally. Yeah. It screams always the red line. The gear shift is good. The steering's good. The brakes are amazing. Just just phenomenal car. And because those guys have... Ferraris and Aston Martins and all that kind of stuff. They're not precious about their three hundred thousand pound alphonics <laughs> with carbon fibre bits on it, and you know, no ABS, no traction, no nothing. I'd say half that group drove those cars like they're worth five grand. Nice. And you know, they 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 thrash the hell out of them and and really enjoy what those cars are built for. You know, Andrew and Max aren't in the business of building cars to look at. Yeah, they're pretty, but that's like a side thing. You know, it's so awesome that. Those sort of cars almost, they, I think they almost attract people like that. Yeah. Because definitely. You've kind of got to have so, so much money to go, yeah, okay, fine, I'll buy a 300 grand GTA or whatever they cost. Yeah. And because of that, I think, I think there's a similar sort of thing with singers yeah. where people who buy well, them just. They've been likened buy them. to like the singer for yeah. Alpha. Yeah. They buy them just to drive them. Yeah. And enjoy them because Which no is one goes. Awesome. 
no one looks at that car and goes like, well, most young people today or whatever, general Joe public will just go, oh, that's like an old alpha. They'll probably yeah. go, that looks quite cool. Yeah. But they wouldn't go, okay, that's worth X. Yeah. Like, yeah, Aventador or whatever, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, I really need to go down and visit them. Yeah. And, see those cars i can make that happen yeah i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> mad keen of, of all the classic cars they've, they've got a really nice showroom they're really nice people um they're very busy but they've always got time and uh, some of the stuff there is like engineering porn mm. it's just oh it's all in the details you know? i love the details where yeah. was i i was at the london uh, there was a sort of london concourse type show whatever and is it thornley kellum who do old lancias Oh, okay. And, like, do crazy stuff. Like, similar sort of thing. Yeah. And you just looked... I just looked in this car and all the details, like, the brake pedals were, like, some crazy engineering masterpiece. And then just the way they'd done the seat belts coming through from the back to the front, all that sort of stuff. You yep. look at it and you're just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You've been to Pagani, right? I have. Yeah. That, that kind of... Yeah. I, I'm not sure I'd ever want to buy a Pagani to use... But I'd love to buy like a chassis to stick on the wall yeah, above yeah, my fireplace yeah. just to look at. Have you seen that guy that did that? Yeah, yeah. I, I it, saw, was, uh, it was like an R, like a, a Zonder R or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Big black Zonder R on the wall. Yeah. So but I, w- I wouldn't want the bodywork. I'd want to see what's underneath. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's it. And you want to see this sort of stuff super up close as yep, well. Yeah. It's just engineering porn, isn't it? Yep. So you've had all sorts of cars on your trips. Yep. Is there like a common theme? What's the most popular car that someone brings along? I'd say that the most common badge is Porsche. Yeah. Definitely. Um, there was an Alpine about four or five years ago where out of the 20 cars, 11 were Porsches. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's always a Cayman GTS, a Boxster GTS, a Cayman GT4, 997 GT3, 991 GT3. I mean, that, that's kind of our bread and butter. Yeah. Every now and then we get the odd 360, 430... Uh, we always have quite a few M2s, funnily enough. Yeah. <laughs> One of our regulars just sold his Speciale and bought an F12 TDF. Oh, okay. Um, his daily driver is a 5 Series wagon. Nice. And his tour car, which literally only comes out for tours, yeah. is an M2. Really? That's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Why do you... Speciale's TDF, I mean, like, that's quite a... Yeah. Similar source of cars, but yeah. very different. Very different. Sort of cars. Yeah. His first tour he ever did with us was in his Speciale in Scotland. Yeah. And he was so impressed. And so by the time he booked his second tour, he'd bought an M2 just to come on tour. I, there's a lot to be said <laughs> for... And like I like fancy, nice cars like the yeah. rest of them. Yeah. But I love the fact with my M2, especially by the time I sold it, I didn't like the fact that it had lost, lost a chunk of money, but yeah. it was I was driving a £35,000 car by the yeah. time I finished. And you can drive a... Ideally, a two thousand pound car, a lot harder than you can drive a two hundred grand car. Unless you, unless you, yeah, most people, yeah, you know, you might be in that price category where you're like, yeah, whatever, yeah. But being able, those cars, they just do a lot, don't they? Kind of comfy, look cool, go fast, four seats, big boot, and yeah, because the M2 is so much stiffer than the the two thirty, two thirty five, and two forty, you can see where the extra money goes for having a proper M car. Yeah, and. I mean, the M3 comp and the M4 comp are very good, but to me, they're a bit too planted. Right. You know, they they don't, they don't start getting lively until you're going really, really very yeah. fast indeed. The M2, on a rainy day, for example, 
turn the traction off and you can be having a barrel of laughs at 25, 30 miles yeah. an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you don't need to be pushing like a lunatic to enjoy the chassis. It, it's so much more talkative because it's less safe and planted than the M3 and the M4. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? That's what's fun. You want cars that yeah. are less planted. Yeah. Although, but saying that, the M2 is much more planted than the M, like. 140i whatever I'm not convinced no in, in like normal daily driving public road situations I'd say the M2 is more skittish than those than, really? the, than the M lights yeah because the M light suspension is so soft uh, yeah that's true the suspension on when the you, M2 you makes it so much potholes and cat's eyes and all that kind of stuff those M lights iron that stuff out so well yeah and because they're keeping traction with the road yeah no I totally buy into that one yeah and on track, okay, the M- different. The lively. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's a good question. How do you find the suspension on your M2? Very stiff. Too stiff? Very stiff. Well, the first two or three days, it was too stiff. Yeah. And the tyres weren't talkative at all, and I couldn't really guess what the chassis was doing. It, it was just uncooperative. And I actually had a phone call with Dan and said, uh, I'm wondering if we made a mistake, you know. <laughs> And he reminded me that when we bought the 240s, we had a similar situation. It took the first thousand miles for the sus- suspension actually moving. Oh, okay, yeah. Because up until that point, obviously, it's all brand new. It's it's like, almost like it's sticky. Yeah. You know, it doesn't move freely. Once you've done a few hundred miles on bumpy roads and the suspension's actually had to work, yeah. it loosens up. And by the third day of that alcoholic store in Spain, I knew exactly what the tyres were doing. I knew exactly what the suspension was doing. And I hadn't for the first two or three days. Yeah. But it is so much stiffer than the 240. Yeah. Which in a 30 mile an hour limit is a pain. Yeah, yeah. When you're doing 50, 60, 70 on like cross country stuff is much better. Yeah. Much better. There's, I I ended up changing the suspension on my M2. Um, What did I go for? A Bilstein B414 or something. Okay. Adjustable. Yeah. Set up. And just to remove, I found you just be getting chucked around quite a lot. Yeah. yeah down a country lane, for example. Yeah. And, and to be honest, most of the time I spent is in town and just in town. It's just yeah. like, doosh, 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 doosh. Yeah. But just like 10% softer makes a huge difference to just being able, just feeling connected. Yeah. Um, so it's not bouncing you down the road. Not bouncing you yeah. down the road. Yeah. And I think a lot of people come across that problem. And then specifically when you then drive it in the wet. Did you Have you found the gearbox? I don't know whether... I'm sure the software's been changed. I found in the wet, for example, if you let it hit... Let's say you're in second. If you yeah. let it hit the limiter yeah. and then pull a change, yeah. it gives you a massive dollop of torque. Yeah. And you're like... <laughs> the, the, the comp is worse for that. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're traction off... And you've got the gearbox in like mode three, which is the most aggressive yeah. shift. It'll break traction when you change from first to second, second to third, third to fourth, and fourth to fifth. <laughs> so yeah, just just throws the back end like a foot sideways yeah. while you're trying to drive in a straight line. It's yeah. an interesting one that one. I, yeah. It's the first time in a car I've ever made it less aggressive intentionally. Yeah. Whilst I'm trying to sort of maybe drive fast or with it and be yeah. like actually I want these gear changes to be softer because this is a bit ridiculous yeah so it's either turn down the aggressiveness of the shift or feather the throttle yeah and change change a little bit earlier a few hundred RPM earlier yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I found the same thing and it's that it's that first time you because it's specifically if you hit the limiter because yeah. the whole car goes like 
it almost stalls. Yeah. But I think it's ready to then do the change. It's got it ready. It's got yeah. the torque ready. Yeah. So when it then comes in, it's a proper... It's almost like an anti-lag. Yeah. <laughs> so so once you have changed gear, it's already like fully boosted, ready to go. And that spike of torque, yeah. So you guys have the autos or... Well, DCT. The, double, yep. the DCT. Yep. Why not manual? You know, like a real driver. <laughs> if I was buying one for myself, A, I wouldn't buy a comp. Yeah. And B, I'd drive a manual. Okay. But having driven Joe Achilles' M2 comp yep. manual in Spain, one of the first things I said, because yep. when you change gear at less than 10 tenths, there's, there's a good couple of seconds, two or three seconds, for it to build boost back up again. Right, okay, yeah. Which you don't get in the DCT. Right. Secondly, his way around that is to basically nail it all the way to the red line, because if you change at the red line, as we've just discussed... Yeah. Um, it more or less removes that lag. But the fuel consumption is terrible to start with. Yeah, I can imagine. And the fuel tank is tiny. So, again, it doesn't look good for myself and Dan to run out of fuel <laughs> on tour. So the manual fuel consumption is, I would say, for what we use the cars for, worse. Yeah. Six-speed versus seven-speed as well, you know. And the other thing is with the manual, the the fuel consumption just generally, you know, just in normal use... Yeah is worse the dct if you do leave it in auto you know if you're crawling around a 30 mile limit and you leave it in auto it's in like fifth yeah at 30 miles an hour <laughs> pulling 1100 rpm yeah and i mean it sounds okay it's kind of gravelly yeah but yeah so between the between the lagginess in between gear changes and the tiny fuel tank and the fuel consumption it, it just didn't make sense for a business perspective for us to have yeah it totally doesn't make sense to you guys yeah. you guys need to be using radios you don't really that's not a problem not a problem. No, we we still drive uh, quite regularly when people are on tour. They say, "Oh, can you take me out in my car?" Yeah. And occasionally somebody will say, "Can I put my wife in your car?" And you know, whatever that kind of stuff. So yeah, so we we still drive manuals regularly on tour. Yeah. And use the radio and you know everything else. Do all the things and do all the usual stuff. So I mean, we we drive the DCTs as we drove, drove the autos, basically as a clutchless manual, mm. as much as anything else, so that. If we do need to drive a manual, the only thing we've got to do is the left leg. Yeah. Everything else is the same. We don't really use the paddles. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're great cars, and I was totally... DCT was the option for me, for mine. My yeah. usage, 100%. But if I was buying one for me... You'd get a manual. I'd, I'd buy the earlier car, Yeah, and I'd buy a manual. Yeah, I think that, right now, is an amazing buy. Like, out there, all things considered. Because yeah. anything new is just so expensive now. Yep. And you get so much. And, and also people bought like those M2s. There was a lot. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
out there. People bought a lot. Yep. So there's a lot of cars. Well, pe- people PCP'd or leased a lot. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, yes. So the cars got made. <laughs> yeah. So you were saying you've switched. Uh, previously, you were PCPing your cars. Yeah. So the two, three, fives we PCP'd. Yeah. But because it was because Petrolo Tours was a new company at that point and didn't have any credit history, so Dan PCP'd his and I PCP'd yeah. mine. Um, and then when we came to change, we leased uh, the two forties because the company had yeah. history to do that. Um, and this time, the company has bought the M twos. Right, and that's you reckon that's going to be cheaper long term. All all things plus, you get an M two. I I, if my maths is right, um, the the tire wear is better on the M twos, but they yeah. cost more, so that should balance out. Fuel consumption is slightly worse. Servicing will cost. A tiny bit more, but we don't do Pretty a similar. huge amount of servicing anyway. I mean, we're probably only looking at two services in three years. Yeah. You know, and a couple of sets of brake pads and, you know. But yeah, by not paying interest on the lease or the PCP, over three years, I think the M2s will work out slightly cheaper per year than either the 235s or the 240. Well, that's a bonus. Yeah. If that works out. Which yeah. you should do. Yeah. And you're also, you have the option of doing more miles if, if you get without busy getting or whatever. Penalized without getting penalised. Without getting heavily charged. Mileage. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. it costs mileage anyway but yeah do you have a set i guess you're going to keep them you're going to keep them for three years because the warranty is three years we're going to keep them for three years that's the plan yeah which is actually if we can't get a good deal on replacement cars and and they seem to be holding up well um potentially we could keep them for a fourth year and just extend the warranty but that's not the intention just depends on yeah three years is quite a good amount of time in terms of ownership of a new if you're getting yeah. a new car three well, years is a lot better than two and one judging how we've done the mileage in the last two cars we're, we're probably looking at between 40 and 50 thousand miles yeah each car in three years yeah so there'll be some one owner <laughs> like motorway, <laughs> motorway only used cars yeah yeah never raced or rallied never raced or rallied <laughs> they've both been ceramic from day one so you know the, the paint will be in decent condition oh, yeah, the paint, paint I made my own grills for the lower bumper to, oh yeah, I to saw that. The radiators and stuff. Yeah, that's a good, so, good mod. Yeah, so many cars. So nowadays. they'll be in great condition. <laughs> so many cars nowadays get just have massively exposed radiators all over the yep. place. Yeah, to just get and ruined like, like a dispo. It's been three years. You need new radiators. <laughs> I think the nine nine six started that. Nine nine six turbos, especially. Yeah, the whole front end. You basically need to replace everything after three years. <laughs> I think I know the AMG GTR. Now, yeah. I don't know whether it was GTS as well, but the GTR, that was particularly bad. And Mercedes never acknowledged that that was a thing. But if you get the GTR Pro that's yeah. out now, yeah. that has little has it got like a 55p plastic guard. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's got little covers. <laughs> so at roughly how many tours do you do a year now? Um, we usually do about six or seven public tours a year. And then anywhere between two and five private tours. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot. That's a lot of driving. It's a lot of driving. Do you get bored? Mm, not generally. I mean, when we do the Alps, unfortunately, the first day is like Calais to the Black Forest. Yeah, that is grim. Which is 370 odd miles of French motorway. And I've done that stretch of French motorway so many times in the last decade. Spain's another one coming back from Spain. The Cap Finister is a lovely boat. Yeah. But I've been on it about 30 <laughs> times. I'm bored of the pizzas on deck 10. <laughs> it's the same pizzas from 10 years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, those bits can be a bit tiring. Yeah. But the driving, I mean, the, the, the people that go on these tours are always interesting. Yeah. I'd say 90% plus of the people that go on these tours are repeat business. 
And I'd say 90% of these people, I would happily, like, if I happen to be going past their town, yeah. I would happily stop in and have lunch with. You know, they're people I That's would choose it. to spend time with. So, uh, yes, sometimes it feels like a job, but when it doesn't, it's worth it. Yeah. You know, it's just basically going for a drive with your mates. It is. And I think being more, not all your tours are like this, but generally tailored towards car people who love driving. Yeah. You're generally going to be able to sit down and have a conversation about cars and whatever and blah, 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 blah. And you've got a similar sort of mindset to start with. Yeah. Whereas if you end up on a trip and someone just wants to go to a nightclub and spend loads of money and be seen in there, whatever. I'm not generally photographed by the Instagram people outside the hotel (laughs) arriving in their pista or. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's not. Yeah, so I I guess that generally means you get good, fun, interesting people. Well, and the thing is, we get we get people who are, you know, in their 20s and are driving a Suzuki Swift Sport, for example. One particular guy I'm, I'm thinking of mm. turned up in a Swift Sport and on a tour this year. That's probably quite a good car to do on it. Well, okay, a Swift Sport on its own would probably be a pretty decent car to do it in, right? But he had spent a lot of time and a fair bit of money on suspension, brakes, tyres. Oh, okay. The essentials, yeah. And the boy's got talent. Mm. Sean, if you're listening, the boy's got talent. <laughs> so he's only young and he's in a relatively low-powered car, but he clearly believes in the same thing as myself and Dan, corner speed, Yeah, right? Don't use the brakes. And wow, yeah, he, he really drove that car. And, and it, I mean, in Scotland, it was just phenomenal what that car and that driver could do. Yeah. And, I mean, frankly, there, there are people there in much more expensive cars and with more driving experience and... You know, nobody was getting away from him. Yeah, yeah. And then, and this, this. I mean, we've had an F40 on tour, um, Veyron P1, uh, all sorts of stuff. And generally speaking, the, the the cars that that tend to do well are things like 911s and they Caymans just, and M2s. They just do well. And, yeah, yeah. The manageable, reasonable limits. Um, one of one of our regulars has got a Hurricane. Um, and he's actually just bought a 997 GT3. Oh, nice. At the last hotel, he said, let's go for a drive. And he let me drive this beautiful 997 GT3, a 0.2. And it was it was just fantastic. You know, that that it sings all the way to the red yeah. line. You can feel everything through the steering. And it, I mean, you can feel so much through your bum. There's you know, so much more alive. The, the, the bucket so seat, you don't need a seatbelt in that bucket seat. You can feel everything coming through the seat. You know exactly how much grip you've got. Yeah from the rear end by what you can feel in the seat. And, I mean, the M2 is great, but it's it's not that. It's not that. It's really not that. (laughs) And, I mean, Tom's driving over the last few years, he's been coming on, he's come on a lot of tours the last few years, has improved massively. And I know in the Hurricane, he really feels like he's got some confidence because Mm. of the four-wheel drive. And, again, with the Hurricane, it delivers so little torque at low revs that it's actually really docile. Yeah. But if you string it all the way out, the noise. Oh, that noise. It's not actually a very fast car, but it sounds, I don't care how fast it is. Yeah. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> if you want to go past in your 911 Turbo S, go. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. That Hurricane sounds amazing. So he's now got, he just sold an M2 actually. Yeah. So he's now got a Hurricane and a 997 GT3. And I'm very jealous. That is, that's quite a good combo. What a, what a pair. I, I think his daily driver at the moment is an Amarok. But company yeah. car, you know. Um, before that, he had a 330e, which I don't think he was overly impressed with. But yeah. you know, but yeah, 997 GT3 and a Hurricane. Yeah, I think that's, that's 
a great combo. Yeah. That was interesting what you said about the that V10 because I found when I drove the the last R8 I drove was yeah. the RWS to so the rear wheel oh, drive yeah. one. Yeah. And which is probably the best R8. Well, I sort of have, well, Ooh. that's that's a good question. Controversial. It 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 potentially is. Okay. But I found it had so much grip. Yeah. And even without the four-wheel drive system. Even without the four-wheel drive. Yeah. And because of the, like you're saying, low down, there's not tons of torque and it builds torque, torque very linearly. Yeah, very progressive. That so you can put your foot down yeah. uh, in the wet and it just goes. Now, obviously, if you're like pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, but those cars, their limits are so high. The tyres are so big. Yeah. That to push it on the road, you just... It's, Stupid, stupid, stupid speeds. Deep into three-figure speeds. Yeah. License losing. Yeah. Dangerous, all the stuff, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So actually, weirdly, I thought that was going to be the car that I would really like yeah. of the RAs. Yeah. I think if it was a manual, which they don't do anymore, yeah. that would make it a bit more, you could be a bit more of a hooligan. So Tom with the Huracan and the GT3, he used to have the early R8 V8 manual. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I've always, I've, I've never driven one of those manuals. Brilliant. It just, it just, I like the idea Brilliant. of it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So you get a lot of people that keep coming back. Yep. And do you think it's just because you're, you just do the best trips? Pretty much. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, there's a couple, Mike and Sue, who have been doing road trips, tours, whatever, for 20, 25 years, some on their own. Um, they've got a green Evora, they've got a camper van. So they've, they've done it kind yeah. of from both sides. They've gone on loads of organised trips from a variety of different companies. And they've only ever been with any of those companies once. And they've, oh. they've been on five tours with me. Well, that's the, you must be doing something and, right. Well, I said to them, what, what, what do I do differently? Yeah. You know what? And, and they couldn't really quantify it. They just said that, you know, most of my competitors, all they're doing all the time is trying to find new customers. Yeah. There's not a huge amount of repeat business. I mean, I get phone calls, emails, more or less daily from people wanting to book on tours, and I, I don't have anything because you're busy. Everything's full. That's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that because I've I've been on tons of different ones, and yeah. like you said, most trips you go on, actually, to be honest, you don't really feel like you're valued at all. You're just okay. like this person that's paid to be on this trip. Yeah, and okay, that's not strictly true about all the ones I've been on, but some of them very much. It's almost like the big, the big, big, big name ones. Yeah. It's almost like you're funding the trip for them to have a great time. But yeah. sometimes and then you don't feel like as a guest that you are the main thing, yeah. which you should be really. Yeah. And it's just, it's so nice to come. I remember the first time I came on a trip with you, you guys, just chat, chill. Yeah. Have a great time. Yeah. And then number one, like I think we get annoyed about similar stuff, for example, people being late. <laughs> yep. Like if you say let's leave at nine and someone turns up at twelve, <laughs> like that's just not really acceptable. <laughs> yep. But but at least those things happen. But my public tours, nobody's ever late. Usually myself and Dan are the last two people to yeah. turn up to driver's briefing because everyone is just itching they go. to go. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have an optimum group size? Okay, I don't know, there's a two-part question. Yeah. If you were just going for a drive with some mates, yep. how many cars? And then if you're doing a tour, how many cars? I can kind of answer both of those in one. Okay. Um, so we have done tours. In fact, one of the ones you mentioned with like 30-odd cars yeah. and support group and whatever else. And it doesn't feel like one group. 
Yeah. You know? Because at that point you're sort of like, you're almost getting 80 people or whatever. Yeah. So our public tours, we cap at about 20 cars. Okay. So that's about five or six with me, five or six with Dan, and five or six in the middle. Yeah. Effectively. Do you get most, most people do it as a, as a duo? Or does it split between single drivers? No, it's, and all? It, it, we've got quite a mixture. So there's a few couples, one couple in particular, always come in two cars because otherwise they argue about who's driving. <laughs> uh, shout out to Tom and Jenna. <laughs> I rate that. Uh, quite a few couples who come and are happy to share the drive because basically one will drive and one will take photos and, and they'll do half a day and half yeah. a day or whatever. There's a few things where there's two mates that come. And there's a few things where there are two brothers that come. And there's, there's quite a few, probably about half of our core repeat business is solo drivers. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think personally, I, I like doing road trips with a passenger. Yeah. And it can be really good. Yeah. But my favorite is a group of, let's say there's five cars, six people or something. Yeah. And you drive and then you stop and you chat to everyone or whatever. But when you're driving, it's just you in the car. And there's a, it's definitely different if it's just you in the car versus you and a passenger because as yep. soon as there's a passenger you have to you, you think about them and you don't want I, them to I have... definitely drive more slowly with a passenger yeah. than I do on my own yeah like you you just drive a bit differently yeah because you don't want to scare them most of my whatever. passengers would probably be horrified by me saying that <laughs> <laughs> wait you drive faster than this <laughs> but yeah I mean um, there was a tour last year that was underbooked so I just went on my own so it was me and six customer cars so seven yeah. cars in total and it was brilliant. It was so That's good. That's a really good group. So um, there have been a couple of tours in the last two or three years where there's been enough for both of us to go. But again, let's say there's like 11, 12, 13 cars. So it's basically me with five or six and Dan with five or six. Yeah. It's just so good. So, that I mean, that, that's a manageable... I can keep four or five cars easily behind me. And, you know, when we need to overtake stuff and I can wait and it, it's not too drawn out yeah you, know? you don't get too um, screwed by traffic yeah, but lights you can, but you can like still that. make decent progress cross country and obviously a lot of places we go there's not that much traffic anyway um but yeah so perfect world if i won the lottery and i didn't have to actually make a living then yeah I, i'd i'd say like 10 cars plus me and dan 12, mm. 12 in total would be plenty would be good yeah would be good amount yeah <laughs> now so, something I was trying to think of maybe what separates Pete from other people and why you maybe maybe want to go with Pete or, or don't want to go with Pete uh, is your knowledge of roads in Europe and all of these places is actually pretty bonk. Like, it's, it's mind-blowingly bonkers. Like, we, an example, we were in Annecy. Tim Shmi had he'd just turned up to join us for a little bit and he, Porsche had given him a new GT3 RS for like that. a week or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he said, Sam, okay, you can go, you can drive the car. So I'm like, right, okay, first stop. Pete, <laughs> I've got an hour. <laughs> We're in Annecy. We're in Annecy. Yeah. Where do I go? Yeah. And you basically, I can't remember, you, you just basically said, go out here, turn up right, go yeah. left, oh, up this windy road, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That'll be a nice route. It, when you've done it, it'll take you about an hour. I yeah. Like, that, and we went and did it. It was an amazing road. It was great. I had a thoroughly enjoyed, great time, came yeah. back and was like, sweet, that was brilliant. How can I, <laughs> like, bottle that knowledge, please? <laughs> yeah, um, a few people have suggested that I make, like, an app or something, you know, so that I can I can disseminate that knowledge to some degree, but it's not that easy. It's not that simple because 
you know, different roads suit different people and different cars and different times of year. And there's a lot of factors. There's a lot of factors. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get tagged in things like some, somebody will put a post up on Instagram of, you know, what a cool road this is. And somebody will tag me and say, Pete, where's this? <laughs> and I always know where it is. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but... Um, oh, it's good. Yeah, but I mean, I, I clearly spend way too much time on Google Maps and Google Street View. And, you know, that, that half a million kilometres, yeah, I've, I've done a fair few roads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if will you plan a route for someone else? Like yeah. if someone just came up to you and said, hey... Look, we've got five people, but we don't want you guys to come along or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You'll do that. Book us the hotels, find us the petrol stations. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of guys. That, well, there's, f- I think, five guys in three cars. And I've, I've planned routes for them for the last three years. There was a guy a few years ago, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, and he'd just been made redundant from a, a city job. Mm. Um, and his payout was enough that he could buy an Exige 240, which was brand new at the yeah. time. So that's however many years ago. And his parents had a place in the Algarve. And he was like, I'm on gardening leave. I'm not allowed to work for anyone else for however many months. So I bought this XE240. So I'm going to drive down to the Algarve, spend a month playing golf, and then drive back. Sounds great. Can you plan something for me? So I planned a route down there and a route back with all the hotels and everything. And I booked all the hotels. And he came back and he was like, that's awesome. If I ever get a, you know, the opportunity to, to do that again, you'll be my first port of call. And it, it was just... I literally strung together some some roads and some hotels for that person, for that car, yeah. at that time of year. You know, I mean, I, I said to him, well, do you want to drive every day? Do you want to have a few rest days? Do you want to drive from nine till nine? Do you want to spend no more than four hours in the car? You know, I mean, yeah, everything's different. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I plan alcoholics tours around that. Um, I do tours for the Saudi Arabia Ferrari Owners Club. Yeah. They, they have different requirements again. I do some tours for some Omani guys, um, Ultimate Drive Club. So they have, again, a different set of parameters. Uh, obviously, I used to do those tours for Superclass Club Arabia. Their requirements were different, more more cities, more motorway stuff. Um, they, I mean, a few of those guys wanted some fun roads as well, but for them it was more about the locations than, than yeah, and I think the hardcore For driving. a lot of them it was... They're bringing their car over to Europe. There's loads yeah. of places they kind of actually haven't been. Yeah. So they want to tick off like major places, not yeah. like some little village in a mountain. Well, like somewhere. that Stockholm to Monaco, you know, with with Hamburg and Amsterdam yeah. and Paris, and that was that was from a, from a sort of touristy perspective, that was a really nice tour. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 good. There's there's a lot of a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I normally sort of wrap up these podcasts with five questions. Yep. And they've sometimes it's six, sometimes it's four. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to fire away. Okay. Right. Do you have a most, this is going to be particularly difficult for you. <laughs> Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Uh, Can be personal, work, whatever. That's <laughs> extremely difficult. There is one that was relatively recently, actually. Dan and I had to be in Barcelona for the start of a tour with the KSA Ferrari Owners mm-hmm. Club um, earlier this year. And we got on the boat in Portsmouth on a Sunday night and it spat us out in Spain on the Tuesday morning. And the Tuesday morning was my 43rd birthday. Oh. And I can't remember if it spat us out at Bilbao or Santander, but either way, we had to get to Barcelona that evening. That's a long way. Yeah. But it was just me and Dan. And of course, we had our radios and I'd planned a route and we were in our 240s. Um, and Dan drives like me. So we just spent the whole day blasting across northern Spain to get to Barcelona. It was just 
because I'd planned the route, so we had some motorway bits and we had a coffee stop and I knew where the fuel stations were. We, we do some of that in reverse mm. on Alps and Pyrenees and on Spain on, on two separate tours. And then there was a road that I had planned for for another tour, which was actually the Alphalics one mm. a month ago, which I wanted to go and try. And it was kind of on the route, yeah. sort of, minor diversion. <laughs> and Dan was like, yeah, let's do it. So it was just it was just a fun day, you know. It was it was a purpose. We had to be in Barcelona so that we could start the tour. Um, and it was my birthday. It's a bit kind of, I'm not with my wife and kids on my birthday, yeah. which kind of sucks. But we made the best of it. And it, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Just, are- just two cars blasting through northern Spain. And well, I mean, we had all the, all all kinds of weather. We had rain, we had sun. It was warm, it was cold. Uh, everything. A few little bits of traffic. A few bits where we didn't see anything for an hour. Yeah, it was fun. Sounds good. Yeah, those are the best ones, really. Just like a mate. Yeah, some roads. Yeah, a journey. Right, next one. Okay, five car garage. Unlimited, oh. unlimited value. Oh, has to fit into your lifestyle. Okay, this is really, really difficult. Mind you, if you said 30 cars, it would still be really difficult. <laughs> Any number of It would just difficult. take longer. Um, okay, five cars. Okay, well, sensible head-on first. Yeah. Because I do have a wife and kids and a dog. And some sort of family vehicle. We take bikes on the bike rack and all that kind of stuff. So sensible family car would be an Alpina B5 Touring. Oh. The new one. Yeah. Yeah. Four-wheel drive. I could get a set of winters on it. You can tow with it. Great suspension. Um, great fantastic ride I live in Gloucestershire the roads are horrible <laughs> yep so Alpina B5 Touring that's one we do have occasion I, um, this is why I'm in an X3 we do have occasion from time to time where we do need a proper 4x4 four four. Mm. so because my wife loves them and I'm not I'm not massively you know against it either one of my best friends had a G63 the new mm. one the 4 litre by turbo mm. and he lent it to us to go out for dinner one night and uh, my my wife freaking loves that car. It's it's a massive departure from the old G class, I have to say. It's so much better. So much better. Not a fun car to hustle. I can imagine not, that's not, the case. Not a nice car to drive quickly. It's not rewarding to drive it quickly. But if you keep it below like two and a half thousand RPM, it just kind of woofles along that mm. that that V eight. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 like the rumble of thunder. It makes such a good noise. Um, the interior is really nice. It's comfortable. It's not actually a very long car. It's only 4.7, 4.8 metres. It's tall. Yeah. But threading it down country lanes is not daunting at all. It doesn't feel mm. huge. So, okay, B5 Touring, G63, new G63. I've always wanted an E28 M5. When I was 10 years old, 1986, when were you born? 87. Okay, before you were born, <laughs> 1986, I saw an advert in, I think it was Autocar, um, it was a Pirelli advert, and it's just it's it's a black page, and there's a black E28 M5 on the page, hovering over like a like a a rectangle of orange light, mm. like a parking space of orange light, and um, some it said something like, to make it fly, BMW gave it six cylinders, twenty four valves, and two hundred eighty six horsepower. Um, to keep it on the ground, they gave it Pirellis. <laughs> okay. I'm not a Pirelli fan, but that magazine advert yeah, yeah. from when I was ten years old. Stuck in my head, and I have always wanted a black E28 M5. 187 right-hand drive, UK spec cars. About half of those, I think, are black. I think black was the most common colour for the E28 M5 in advert. the UK. Possibly because of that advert. Okay, so B5 Touring, G63, E28 M5. Fun sports car. Uh, okay. Car, hype uh, car. I'm a, car. I'm a 911 guy. Yeah. I can get in most cars and get the measure of them in five minutes. Yeah. I can get in any 911 and feel like I was born in that seat. 
So it's just a case of which two 911s would round out my collection. I think one would have to be the new 911 Speedster. Right, yeah. Because it's actually a proper GT product. I drove the 911R at, at the Porsche Centre at Silverstone, yeah. and I loved the 911R, but I'm not massively a convertible guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Speedster... It just means you can hear it better. <laughs> yeah. You get to experience right? more yeah. GT3. So, I mean, I, if I could have got a build slot for 991 GT3 Touring, I would have had one. Yeah. Uh, manual gearbox, slightly softer suspension, but still with that GT3 engine. Cage, oh no cage? Oh, my God, right? Probably no cage. Ideally, if they, did a G, if they did a GT3 Touring with back seats, then I could take the kids as well. You know? I, yeah, I'm, I'm all for this sort of <laughs> but, stuff. Okay. Okay, so 991 Speedster would be car number four. I think car number five would have to be another car that I have lusted after for many, many years. I, I had several 993s. I had mm. a pair of C2s, a C4S, and a Turbo. Um, the 993 Turbo was my daily driver from my 29th birthday to my 30th, or the day before my 30th. Brilliant car. Yeah. While I was a 911 guy, which is many years, a car I always lusted after was a, one of the cars that Mr. Roof himself has in his personal collection, Ooh. which is 964 based. It's a Roof RCT Evo. Okay, yeah. Um, it's about 450 horsepower, six-speed yeah. manual, rear-wheel drive, one single big turbo. Um, it's a roof. They're so cool. It's got that beautiful like, integrated roll cage in the, yeah. you know, in the A-pillars and all that kind of stuff. Everything is trimmed to perfection. For non-911 people, it just looks like an old 911. It does. His personal car is in dark green. It's called Connaught Green. So, yeah, I think my, my car number five would be a Connaught Green Roof RCT Evo. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You've got some real, like, car guy niche stuff in there. <laughs> no, but, like, like a roof. Yeah. Most people, if they haven't found one on a PlayStation or something, have yeah. absolutely no idea what a roof is. Yeah. And Alpina yeah. is pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I like that. I rate that. Good, good stuff. Can I have any more? <laughs> no, no, that's your five. <laughs> that's my five. Okay, the next question. I'd love a Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> Just for I, I drove. I drove a mate's six-litre VT Diablo about 100 miles in the Black Forest a few years ago, and it's just, it's one of those cars that you can only do one thing, right? You can either accelerate or brake or change gear or steer, yeah. right? Everything requires maximum effort, concentration, <laughs> and the sense of achievement from getting it to flow down some roads, mm. not particularly quickly. But just getting but, it down the road. Just, yeah, just just making it flow rather than jerking around everywhere, you know, and that engine. Yeah. You know. They've got a, a, a serious engine. Yeah. So if I, if I had space for a sixth, I could squeeze in there. <laughs> <laughs> there is something innately fun. Well, just that pure search of trying to get whatever vehicle you're in smoothly and moderately quickly yeah. down the road yeah. I <laughs> I was in Australia earlier this year we went for a couple of weeks and we rented a camper van it was like quite a big camper van yeah but I overtook someone in an X5 in this camper van and like all four <laughs> tyres going like <laughs> but like you, you spend when you drive something that big and I imagine there's actually some sort of satisfaction in driving like a big truck or something yeah. it's but you have to be so smooth yeah. with your inputs and stuff. And yeah. you can get, it just brings it back to like, you can get enjoyment out of pretty much anything yeah. if you're searching for the right thing. I, I did a tour, the Hire Car Challenge in oh, Sicily yeah. nice. a few years ago. And it's just a three-day weekend in May in Sicily. And we were all in 
the smallest car Hertz could provide with aircon. So we had like courses and fiestas. Yeah. And, and it was hilarious. And I mean, the roads in Sicily, especially through the, through the interior, up and, up and over the mountains of the volcano, the roads aren't great because the tarmac is basically like laid on volcanic rock. So the slightest bit of rain and the tarmac moves. Nice. So it's like a it's like a carpet that's like ruffled, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you're bouncing along that in a in a rental like Fiesta 1.25 petrol, thrashing the nuts off it. And again, it's the whole you can't use the brakes because if you use the brakes, you have to try. Oh, it's and like eight get minutes of acceleration back. back yeah. There's a lot to be said for slow car fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Next question: If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, and you're allowed like a 500 pound beater that can put kids in or whatever has anyone built a 911 r with back seats okay so i actually <laughs> looked into this not because i wanted to do it yeah. but i wanted to know why no one's put seats in a gt3 okay you could do it in like 996 generation okay. i think 997 you may still have been able to do it okay 991 yeah what they uh, none of the sort of like mounting points and hard points are the there under the seat, oh. so structurally it's yeah. impossible. Whereas previously, I think like nine nine six, you could still mount stuff underneath. Whereas now they've stripped it so far back, they've pared it so down, you can't actually do it. So if you could still do it in a nine nine seven, then my one car for indefinite till the day I die, or whatever, would be a nine nine seven GT three RS four point Mm. with back seats yeah that'd be good mm. that'd be really good mm. and and have you driven the, the four, have you the driven the four litre no I haven't okay sadly not it's um that's good yeah it's a bit stiffer than the 3.8 but the engine yeah well the thing I've driven the 3.6 and the 3.8 and I don't really know which one I prefer I, I like the way the 3.6 delivers its power right but I like almost everything else about the 3.8 yeah yeah <laughs> So I think the 3.8 is faster, but the way the 3.6 revs just seems a bit looser. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably depe- Probably also depends on the car. Yeah, yeah. And how many right foot but miles I'd, I'd be had. quite happy to, you know, a, a four-seat <laughs> four RS 4.0 would be... That'd be a pretty sick yeah. car. Yeah. If you could do it in a newer car, then I'd say, yeah, like a GT3 Touring with back seats. Or an Let's just say, like, hypothetically, this has got to be possible. Then, yeah, GT3 Touring with back seats would be great. Yeah. I was looking at, if, if someone was saying, what was my ideal spec in, like, a if I could redo, let's say, my GT3 or something, or, yeah. or a Touring or something like that, yeah. the driver's seat would be the fixed full carbon bucket seat. Okay. And the passenger would be the folding bucket seat. So you can still put stuff in the back. Because the, the driver's seat, the fixed one, is, yeah. at least in 997 generation, it's like 15 mil, 20 mil lower. Okay. Than the other one. Yeah. But you still need the folding one to get to stuff, get in, the stuff back. in the back. Yeah. And so people can get in or whatever in your yeah. in your seats. Right. I don't need the lower seat. I'm like six inches shorter than you. Yeah. Okay. So maybe you need a booster. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is the best value car for under fifty k? The best value car for what? What can you that for fun? Matter. Fun. And, and to be honest, is anything that stands out. You go like, oh, that's particularly good value. Non expensive car for whatever it does. Okay, this is this is going to seem like a massively biased, <laughs> but if if you wanted a car like a cheap car, I, when I say cheap car, I mean like twelve grand, fourteen grand, yeah. right? To do everything, you can drive it to work, you can commute, you can leave it in a station car park, and you don't care. You can go and do tours with it. You can put a washing machine in the back of it. M one three five i. 
Yeah. Five door hatch. It's versatile. It's rear wheel drive. It's a lot of fun. If you can stretch the budget and stick a limited slip diff in, that's all you need to do, you know? Yeah. Pilot Super Sports from the factory anyway, unless somebody idiotically put the run flat box. <laughs> there, there was a, an option to put yeah. run flats on it, but you had to tick a box for that. You know, they didn't come with run flats on this. like, no, I want that. For that. Yeah. yeah. Why would you ever do that? But yeah, so something like that, as, as an all round proposition, you know, It'll sit on the motorway and do 40 to the gallon, 75 cruise control. It is t- you can it literally take a put a washing machine in the back if you need to. You can take four of your mates and you to the pub to watch the rugby at the weekend. You know, it's it'll do the Scotland tour. It'll do Alps and Pyrenees, Spain, whatever, you know. Yeah. Can air conditioning, cruise control. It's fun, rear-wheel drive. I, I'm not a big fan of, like, fast for the sake of fast, you know, like Nissan GTR, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets boring quick. yeah. If you were up in the budget a bit, then I think I go back to what we were talking about, which is the manual LCI M2 at 35-ish. Yeah. There's lots of things out there that are much faster for 35 yeah. grand. Much faster. But four seats, decent-sized boot, usable car. Looks cool. Re- relatively under the radar, you know. I mean, you, you could spend 35 grand on a... Well, you could spend, let's say, 42 on a Cayman R. Yeah. Two seats, much less space. Epic car. If it was if it was to be your only car and you needed to, needed it to do everything you need in your life, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think not having a back seat at all, like the Cayman doesn't have any kind of back seat. You know. Yeah, it's, at least you can least, put so much more stuff in. Yeah, even like if a nine nine six. The back seat in a nine nine six isn't great, but if you if you needed to do three miles, yeah, to the pub, you could put a couple of your mates very uncomfortably in the back exactly. of a nine nine six. You can't do that in a Cayman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I I think a lot of people, and I don't know whether you've come across this, seem to buy like a M140i or M135i, 235i. Yeah. And then they modify them loads. Yeah. Which, to be honest, actually, it's entirely up to whoever to do whatever. Yeah. But I find if you start looking at the bills people have spent on a car. You see, I did that. And you go, oh, wow. Okay, I could have just bought X. When I, when I was like 19, 20, I had a Mark II Jetta. 16 mm. valve because it was like 1500 quid cheaper than a Mark II Golf 16 valve yeah. it was basically the same car and I put Spax RSX coilovers on it and I put a Scorpion exhaust on it and I put a Corrado 2 litre 16 valve engine in it and all kind of like K-Jet modifications to give it a bit more power and all sorts of stuff right the amount of money I spent on that car I could have bought a VR6 Corrado yeah <laughs> which would have been a better car I think <laughs> you do that sort of well some people would do it Forever and ever and ever. Yeah. But I think you generally do it once. Yeah. And then you do the sums. And you do the sums. And it's normally, it's only when you sell it that you do the sums because up until that point, you've, you start off with a cheap car. Yeah. And then you've just spent money on it over time. Yeah. I guess now we have a lot more finance options that allow you to spend money over time. Yeah. But equally, lose that money under depreciation and other costs if you don't, because it's not necessarily just £200 a month or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, Before we move on to the next one, um, my 130 that I had many years ago, that's the longest I've ever owned a car was my 130. How long was that? Four and a half years. That is is, a good go. A year is usually a good go for me. (laughs) But that, I put the BMW Performance brakes on the six pots on the front, four pots on the back. Yeah. And BMW Performance exhaust, all of which was obviously, you know, still under warranty. Yeah. And I put a Quaife ATB in the back. Birds Mm. put a Quaife ATB in the back for me. I mean, I did a few other bits and pieces, but... Again, I mean, if you're looking at like a five grand car now, five, six grand, you can pick up a nice 130. And you buy a 130 and dump the run flats, put decent Michelin non-run flat tyres on there and a limited slip diff. That's all you need to do. My God, what a car. Yeah. 
And you can 265 horsepower, 7,000 RPM, naturally aspirated. All it needs is a Linzer slip diff. Yeah, and then nice. you can drift around roundabouts. It's a weapon. And then anyone that buys a new one series will be doing front wheel burnouts. <laughs> oh, that's really. Oh, I'm depressed. No, I'm not depressed. It's it's crazy. I know the new two series coupe and M2 are coming on a shortened four series platform and will still be rear wheel drive. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, that's good news. Yes. So, shortened four series platform. Right? Yeah. Interesting. From the, from the new three and four series. It's so there's still going to be rear wheel drive. Still going to be a rear wheel drive M2 coming and rear wheel drive two series coming. Have you seen the new 235i uh, coupe? Grand coupe. Oh, bleh, bleh. that's one of the worst looking cars I've ever seen. It's based on the new M135i. So again, it's it's four wheel drive and it's front wheel biased. Yeah. Yeah. Two litre four point. What BMW doing at the moment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sorry, continue. That's right. Final question. Okay. What is the most interesting car to you at the moment? Do you find yourself Googling something or, you know, you're searching classifieds or what's the, more, the car that's sort of in front of your mind? That's, there's not really one car. That's, yeah, that's, you, see, the question was one car. Uh, was the most interesting. You can't nail it down. You can maybe do two, but definitely not three. Okay, the, the Morgan Plus Six Ooh. has featured a lot in various things I've read recently. I like the concept of the Aero when that came out, you know, with the aluminium chassis and the yeah. V8 and all that kind of stuff. And the, the Plus 6 still looks like an old Morgan. It does, 100%. Like proper old Morgan. But it's got the Aero-style aluminium bonded chassis underneath. It's still got the wooden stuff that holds the curvy body panels together. Yep. But it's got, effectively, the 240 powertrain, the, the B58 engine and ZF8 gearbox and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think, as Morgans go, that's a very interesting marriage of... The really old and the really new, and I'd love to drive one. I'm not sure I'd ever own one, yeah, but I'd love to drive one. It's a very interesting car. I'd, I've driven one. Okay, the the plus six. I've driven a plus six. Oh, okay. And is it it's, the, is it's it not, the marriage of old and new? It is. Okay. And I think I was. I think the best mate way for me to come at that car, and the way probably Morgan would like me to come at that car, is drive the full history of Morgan. And then drive the plus okay, six. Yeah. So you see it as an evolution of Morgan rather than go, okay, this car's like 80 grand. And in my head, I would compare it to, let's say, the new Cayman GT4. So I'm going to go, you could buy this or you could buy this. Now, in reality, I don't think people are shopping in between those two cars. Probably not. But I'm like, what do I like? And then I get in this car. Yeah. And you get in and the first thing you look at it and it's this cool old Morgan type thing. And then you sit in the seat the seat, I really hope they've changed it by now. It's possibly one of the worst seats in a car I've ever come across. I think that's Morgan seats. Like, not great side bolster and really solid. But they, I spoke to them about this and I think they were, they're coming up with another, another seat option. But then you see the BMW gear stick in the middle. Yeah. Literally this. Yeah. And it's quite jarring, isn't it? Yeah, like, that looks weird. <laughs> and, and, and actually, if you had never been in a BMW, or never seen the BMW gear stick. Yeah, maybe you you wouldn't have such a like but, a combination thing. It still doesn't thing. fit with the rest of the interior. Yeah, it, does, does it? it doesn't. I think it sticks out like a sore thumb at the moment because it's the first car that they've done with that powertrain. Yeah, then they haven't really been able to. It's I imagine it's quite expensive to develop your own that. Probably, yeah, um, I think there's a lot of electronics and stuff in it. But as a driving experience, I drove that in my M2. Yeah, which is a, a similar similar engine, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, and it felt 
completely different drive that car being 500 kilos lighter you put your foot down <laughs> yeah and it was it felt like someone put like a 911 turbo engine in it or something just the horizon going <laughs> as you go yeah. past like put my foot down for the first time and then had a little like whoa okay yeah. this yeah. is actually fast and it's only got 340 horsepower whatever it is yeah. but it feels properly quick properly quick yeah when you start to push it you start to run into a bit of the problems of the fact that it's not it's got no rigid roof and it's not very rigid yeah. and the suspension because of that it's a bit sort of crashy a little bit so dynamically it's not something i would want to drive very fast especially if, you, if you're just used to having get if you've got out of a porsche or something yeah we're in a very different we feel like i'm in a different century in terms of just well yeah things refinement. like things like porsches i mean like on the limit handling is sweet yeah because it's been refined to that point exactly like i well imagine morgan on the limit handling is feels like you're on the limit right yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's I don't know really how to how I felt about it. It was I'm not sure the engine. If I was getting a car like that, yeah. I would want a sort of rumbly V8 type thing yeah. or something that just sounds good for cruising around. Yeah, and it doesn't sound. It sounds okay. Yeah, it sounds exactly how it is. But I don't think having a heavily turbocharged engine for me fit the experience of that car. Okay, but then I think some people will get in it and be like, "This is crazy fast. Looks really like old school. It's completely different to everything else." tick and yeah and you, most people don't drive but given that you can get that engine with a six-speed manual gearbox in the 240 for example yeah why didn't they put a manual in it or at least a manual option yeah maybe because a manual come. gear stick would have looked much less incongruous with the rest of the yeah true <laughs> with the rest of the interior and i think would suit the type of person who would want to buy that car yeah i don't know i i i tried to, to find like who's gonna buy this car yeah and i wasn't really sure yeah. But then I disagree with people about what car is the best car all the time. Yeah. And people, you know, someone will come in and their, their ideal car might be a Nissan GTR or something. Yeah. And actually, I have not driven a GTR, so I can't comment on how they drive. Very fast. Um, but very they are easy. Very fast. Very easy. Another sort of thing is like 911 turbos. Yeah. Like, I like, I love Porsches, but I would not buy a 911 turbo as a sports car. No. It's just not that car for me. Yeah, it doesn't have any of the fizz. I'd much rather go more slowly in a GT3. Yes, and weirdly, definitely as I time carries on and I do more track driving and all that sort of stuff, the speed I go on the road just slower. Yeah, slower, more entertaining. Yeah. So I, I back to back with the plus six, I drove the three wheeler, the most one of the funnest cars I've driven in a long time. Yeah, just absolutely. Do you know Alex? Hilarious. Corey? Yes. Yeah. I had him on the podcast. Okay. Yeah, he's got a three wheeler, hasn't he? He does. Yeah. 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 They're weird. They don't handle very well. Yeah. But laughs. Skinny tires. Yeah. Huge fun. Yeah. Understeer, oversteer, all of the steers. Yeah. <laughs> but like lots of laughs. Um, you said I could maybe have two cars if I stretched it a bit. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. other one that keeps coming up again recently is the Alpine A110S. Oh, yes. Yes, that is interesting. That To me, given, you know, everyone's doing more and more, I mean, like AMG, everything, you know, you, you can't buy an AMG with less than like 500 horsepower now. Yeah. And BMW are upping everything and everything's getting heavier. 600 horsepower, four-wheel drive. Yeah, and and more electronic stuff and whatever. And then Alpine came out with a 110 and now the 110S. It's really interesting. Yeah. I really want to drive one. I want to drive one. And the number of people that I've come across who have driven that car and love it that also drive 
crazy fast, crazy expensive, other stuff. Yeah. And they drive that and they're like, this is just really good. Like, this is really good. That says a lot. And yeah. considering it's only paddles and it's... Again, I think it's one of those cars that if, if they offered it with a manual, I think that would appeal to me more. And I'm yeah. sure there would be other people it would appeal to more because from what I've heard, the paddle shift in that isn't brilliant. Yeah. But despite... Well, that's it. The paddle shift not being brilliant, people still rave about what an amazing car it is. So it really must be bloody good. It must be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if people are still going out, they're buying it, they're driving yep. them. That is, yeah, that's 100% on my list of things. I'd yep. love, to, love to have a go in. Sweet. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been, thanks for the it's invite. Been good to chat. Yeah. Just car stuff. Car stuff. <laughs> Trips, all that jazz. Hey. Well, if anyone wants to find you, they can find you on, I guess, Petrolhead Tours. You've got a website. Yeah, the website is http colon slash slash petrolhead.tours. Great. And Just that simple. Whatever. Well, yep. thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.